to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us on all social media at Believe in OWL, that's B-L-E-A-V in O-W-L, and Believe.com. This week, we discuss the long-anticipated Grand Finals match between the San Francisco Shock and the Vancouver Titans. Hello, hello, lovely listeners. Welcome to the analysis segment of the Believe in Overwatch podcast. Yeah, we finally saw the end of season two. Yay. First, I think we should start with how the final started with our performance with Zed. I still feel like it's better than DJ Khaled, 100%. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so I, I was telling you, Kevin, that before, that when I, when I watched the Zed performance, I hadn't seen... Khaled's from last year because I heard it was terrible and I just didn't want to bother with it, didn't want to waste my time. So I had I had thoughts on Zed's performance. But then today, because I thought it only fair to to gauge both performances, I went and I watched Khaled's performance during my lunch break, and it just it boosted Zed's performance in my eyes so much. Because Khaled was just so painful to watch. I do have to give Khaled credit for doing his best to try to pump up the crowd. I don't think he was the right artist for that audience. I don't think his song choice was right for that audience. But to his credit, he did his best to try to keep things engaged. Um, I think he kept whatever emotions he was feeling, any disappointment or anything, as low-key as possible. You could, I think, I think you could tell that he wasn't the most comfortable with that audience. If I ever have to hear someone say another one, again, I'm going to explode because that was just so painful to watch. What were your thoughts of Khaled's performance before we go into Zed? Yeah, Khaled's performance was pretty, pretty cringeworthy, not going to lie. I had a viewing party for the for the actual finals last year. And then we literally sat down and we saw DJ Khaled for like two minutes. And we're like, yeah, you know what? We should order the pizza now. We should... We should do everything else that we need to do before the game actually starts right now. And we all just tuned out of DJ Khaled's performance the entire time. Yeah, I totally agree. It wasn't really his crowd. It wasn't like he wasn't in tune with them in a way. If he's at some like rich 13 year old's birthday party. Yeah, probably. He probably turned up hella hard there. But, you know, Overwatch League and the people who are watching that are a completely different demographic. Now, according to him. He was on tour with uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce, and he got the call as he was on tour to come in and perform for Overwatch League. So that kind of makes me feel like he was a very last-minute decision on their part. That being said, do you think that he'd ever heard of Overwatch or ever seen a round of Overwatch before he set foot on that stage? Oh, that's tough. I think that it was a wide enough spread for him to like at least be like, oh, okay, this is kind of a video game. That's cool. But I don't think he would ever be in touch or in tune with the uh, esports scene as we know it. Fair, I, I I agree with that. I don't think, I don't think he 
count. I don't think personally he would count esports very seriously. He doesn't seem like the kind of crowd to understand it. Um, as opposed to Zed, who we know from personal experience for you is very into the Overwatch scene and understands the game and understands the fans. Um, so Zed's track list that he played was the first, he played a couple songs. First one was, are you going to stay the night? Then he moved on to clarity, then stay. And then the middle and his last song was with Kehlani for the song that they collaborated on with, which was, which was good thing. Um, what are your thoughts on his performance? I felt like Zed's performance was a lot stronger than Khaled's only because he knew the crowd. But I felt like if they moved Kilani up to the beginning and then ended with what he started with, the crowd would probably be like super pumped for the game. Um, I do feel like, uh, not gonna lie, Kilani was kind of like a buzzkill. <laughs> it took the entire hype that Zed was making with the initial, like, are you going to stay the night, clarity and stay? And then just like went into like an acoustic cover and just like sucked all the energy out. Not bashing on a uh, good thing or Kehlani in any way. It was just like it was kind of jarring and you the crowd could feel that. Absolutely. Like you can visually see the difference between the crowd when Zed was doing his thing and when Kehlani was doing his thing. Now, I previously said before that, like, I didn't think that having someone like Zed as great as his music is. And I really do like his music. Having someone like him would be a good decision because I've seen DJs play before and I've seen the crowds that kind of just stand there. But in like, I, I said, it'd be better to have someone who actually performed, but that completely flipped on its head with Kehlani because like you said, she would have been a better opener because just, something about her performance and maybe it was the song choice just dragged the energy down. Whereas with Zed, like when he first came out there, I noticed when you see, saw the crowd shots, there were still a lot of people sitting down, but he didn't have any trouble getting people on their feet and moving, which again is in contrast with Zed, with Khaled from last year. Like he had to every five seconds, Khaled was telling people to put their hands up or to dance or do something. Whereas Zed told everybody once, he's like, hey, everybody get your hands up. And the entire time, everyone was having a good time. Everyone's hands were up. Everyone was engaging to his music. My question then becomes like, who would you want to see for next year? Would you bring back Zed if he was invited again? Would you be fine with it? Um, or is there anybody else who you think would be an ideal pick or candidate for this? I think it'd be fine to have Zed back again. I wouldn't, it wouldn't be my first pick. I think... He had his shot. He put on a good performance. He did what they hired him to do. Um, I'm still going to go back to what I said before and having kind of a, a more live performance aspect because I was talking with my brother about it and we kind of had the same feeling like we like Zed's music, but if we kind of closed our eyes and having me having seen DJs live, it's like, there's not much difference between seeing them live and playing their music on like Spotify or something. Um, I was watching him and like turn a couple knobs on stage and it was not the most exciting thing for me. I would like to see, I don't know. I don't know who would be a good performer then because I think it's important to have people who know the crowd and the game play. Um, so I don't know if, 
I don't know which bands or musicians currently, aside from Zed, are very vocal about Overwatch. I totally agree with like finding somebody who's played the game and at least knows the crowd. Um, Zed being kind of the only one right now who goes out and does that. Um, but I could also see like what they did for League of Legends in the past. Like Imagine Dragons wrote a song for the opener for the uh, CLS opening. Um, so if Blizzard kind of wants to do the same thing, they could try to see if a band would want to perform a song tailored to Overwatch as an opening theme to to the whole grand finals. I think it'd be cool because I know because Fallout Boy did that with Immortals for Big Hero Six. Exactly. And I mean I've seen Fallout Boy live. I bought tickets to the Hella Mega Tour. So I've seen them twice already. I think they might be they have a lot of really cool visuals and a lot of good stage presence. And they have a track record of writing songs for entertainment before. They'd be cool performers. I don't really know any who else would be really good. I know I know Bishop Briggs is a good performer because I've seen her a couple of times. She's very high energy, but I don't know if the crowd would know her as much. She's she's definitely growing in presence and in renown. She I know her one of her songs was used to promote Tomb Raider. If you want to cross breed your uh, entire cultures stuff, you can grab an anime artist as well and have them write something. So imagine oh, like an Hatsune anime. Miku. Yeah, <laughs> Hatsune Miku. Have like a, uh, yeah, dude, that'd be insane, actually. If they got Miku uh, in a diva costume, everybody would lose their freaking mind. Or if, like, for example, they opened the Overwatch League Grand Finals with an actual anime opening, I mean, it would be great just to see a different, like, aspect of things coming together and to promote the promote the game itself. Right. To kind of go off that animated thing, I had a couple of these right now. Like, what if you had Lucio as the performer? Because we already have the Synesthesia Auditiva album from him. I think it'd be an insane kind of blurring of that fourth wall if either Lucio or Lucio partnered with Tatsuni or somebody else was the featured artist for next year. Or like someone like the Gorillas who took, um, I think it's, I think it's Ace from Powerpuff Girls and added him into their band. If they could do something with one of the Overwatch characters like Lucio and and do some crazy animated fun song with them so final verdict on zed better than khaled yeah <laughs> that's all that mattered he just had to clear the bar that dj khaled had initially and he did that so you just it depends on up. who we got next yeah he just had to show up and play a g- couple of good songs you know i like his song set um i think it could have been reordered a little bit i think his passion and his enjoyment of being at the Overwatch League Grand Finals was very clearly evident. He was happy to be there. People were happy to see him there. That Widow skin got everyone pumped. Who would you like to see besides if he had to like, if it wasn't an animated thing? Because I think we'd, we'd both be super down for that. But if he had to be an actual performer, who would you want to see? Hmm. That's very tough. Only because like, I don't, I don't listen to a lot of music. I just, I listen to whatever's on the radio when it happens. I just feel like you, you need to know that you need to know your crowd before you're going into the Overwatch League Grand Finals. And speaking of Overwatch League Grand Finals, let's get into that game analysis. Yeah, this got kind of insane, I, I would say. Um, 
I was watching this in the living room with my parents and they're like, this is the thing that you yell at your computer for. And I'm like, yes, this is, <laughs> I sit down and I physically yell at these computer screens because not only do I enjoy the games, but I'm also casting some of them. So they're like, Oh, what, what would you sound like if you were on TV or something? And I'm like, these guys, but not Australian. Yeah. Like, but they have a very good like presence. It's just like the accent right. that's very nice to listen to. So uh, they're like, why don't you pick up that accent? I'm like, I, I'm not from Australia. They're like, Aussie's a hard accent to learn. Exactly. It's very hard. I try it and I slip into Cockney almost every time. It's only very recently that I've been able to pick it up. And I credit that to watching Mr. Inbetween on FX. <laughs> Promotion, FX, please pay us. Yeah, that'd, that'd be nice. But yeah, I have, I have the thick, you know, Californian accent. So we'll see if it reaches the far beyond if that happens but yeah let's get into the actual game itself the shock and the titans you know we've had a lot of history between these two teams uh if you want to do you want to dive into that yeah so the history between these two teams the san francisco shock were the stage two champions where the titans were the stage one champions the san francisco shock were the only team to make all four finals this season and the Titans made three out of the four stages. The Vancouver Titans had the Overwatch League record for the number of matches secured. So that doesn't mean like complete map sweeps. Essentially, like, okay, each team played seven matches per season to get to like a certain point, right? So that means they went undefeated in stage one, stage two, and part of stage three until they got slapped by, I think it was a Valiant? Who did it? The Overwatch League map record is held by the San Francisco Shock when they had the Golden Stage, which was Stage 2, where they didn't drop a single map. They 4-0'd every team that they happened to come across. Now, for more numbers, um, the San Francisco Shock have three All-Stars, where the Titans have four, but the San Francisco Shock have four Roll-Stars as opposed to the uh, Titans having two. Uh, Sinatra was this year's MVP, whereas Hacksaw was named Rookie of the Year. Now that's really interesting because this year on our grand final stage, we got to see both of those heroes kind of duel it out on the Doomfist role, which has been so prominent in this playoffs. Both Sinatra and Hawksall are very good at Doomfist. It's not something that it's like, oh, we'll pull it out when we need to. No, they've, they're both very good at Doomfist, along with, you know, almost any hero that they're forced to be specialized. They're not just, they're not Doomfist one tricks. They definitely deserved their titles that they earned this year. And both of these players are still very young. You know, uh, Sinatra was picked up at the, at stage three of season one. So that was when he was eligible. Him and Super got into the league at around the same time. Um, I was lucky enough to meet them when they were first uh, coming into, coming into the league. They were like still, just 17 they were like 17 and a half and we're like hey these guys are gonna join the team that's gonna be cool and so uh i chatted with them a little bit uh, they're both very chill guys in general they're also very tall uh, i did not know that when i was uh standing next to them um Hawksaw, on the other hand has made his name throughout the korean contenders like scene and also you know in the overwatch league scene as of this point um it was insane like seeing these two butt heads they're both young players they're both probably future leaders of teams too. Okay, so going into the actual rounds, map one was Lijong Tower, and we started off with Control Center. I think the most interesting thing about how this started was 
that you had the Titans running a Brigitta. The Brig, I feel like, was a tactical choice to try to counter and eliminate Sinatra's Doomfist as early as possible. It's one of those things where if you know that they're going to try to dive the backline, you want to have a way to mitigate it other than what's already available. So the only two real CCs that I think supports have is Sleep Dart and Briggs Shield Bash. Um, when you Shield Bash, you clash with Doomfist, so you're going to be down on the ground, but it allows your team to rotate back. And Sleep Dart uh, would be ideal, but you have to be very skilled at Ana to do it. And, you know, not saying that Twilight can't do it, but, you know, it's just a lot more pressure being put on him. But yeah, it was a very interesting rollout to see the Brig at the very beginning. Not that it did them any good, because, I mean, the switch came pretty soon after that. I think that choice also allowed the Shock to get that first fight win. It was a lot of trading kills, but the Shock were able to get the kills that they needed to repel that Titan's push, and they took the point. And after that, it was pretty much just the Shock dominating this entire match. You went into the second fight, Sinatra got his Meteor meteor Strike very quickly and broke that push with a two-man kill after a Meteor. Twilight and Moth wiped up afterwards, so he had a five-man kill. The Titans just really couldn't get much progress, and when they did, it was because they killed Sinatra, had a Death Blossom to go in, and they flipped the point at 93%. But at that point, you're starting from zero. The Titans, all they had to do was wait till they had ult advantage and take advantage of that, which they did, and the trickle in from the Titans really couldn't do much against a team that's so dominant. Yeah, it's one of those things where you have to spend ult resources in order to get the point, and then you realize, hey, we have the point, but now we can't hold it because we have no ults. And the other team just comes back and blows every ult and just takes it back. So the next map that we saw was the market for Lijong Tower, Night Market. And the composition for this was the Reaper, Doomfist, Agents of Shields on both sides. So going back to that meta, not really taking any chances. It's one of those maps that has a lot of boop potential if they wanted to use it but it was really messy <laughs> um, it was really scrappy yeah i thought that both teams would try to like you know regroup figure out what they wanted to do but for the most part it was that Hoxall and janu came out firing really quickly they were like okay you know what we had to gain momentum back get all of that up and running the shock were just able to outwittle them essentially just keep flipping the point using their ults when needed um and securing the kills when they needed to get it i think that kind of set the pace for the rest of this grand finals also this the fact that the shock won this i noticed the um the casters mentioned at the very beginning that in the entire playoffs before this the titans hadn't lost around one this was their first loss on around one the shock throughout the year have been very spotty on control point maps in general Throughout the SF Shock community, we had this like meme going on. It's like, oh, we'll lose the first one, but then we'll get we'll get the rest of them, right? Um, it was just that they weren't 100% dominant on control point maps. And we don't know exactly what it was. It was just like they were either getting outplayed or they weren't used to it. But now that like they took this away from them, that's essentially saying, you know, we're taking the wind out of your sails right now. You may have rode the winner's bracket, but we're going to make sure that you cannot have the momentum going into these next matches and you know that that ended up snowballing for them so so moving into round two which was eichenwald um you had a substitution here at the very beginning 
where Architect and Rascal swapped in for Striker and Sinatra. Um, so for them, that meant that you're going to see May and you're going to see a Bastion on the Shock side. And this is the thing that I liked about the whole Shock's uh, DPS swap. I've, I talked about this two weeks ago when we were discussing you know, implications for the finals. It's that the SF Shock are super fluid with the way how they can run their DPS line. So we saw the the Reaper Doomfist with Striker and Sinatra. And then you can just flip to something weird like Architect and Rascal. Because Rascal's so fluid. He played the Farah. He could play uh, May. He can pretty much play like a whole bunch of characters. He's known for picking up characters super quickly and playing them at a very high level. And then you have Architect, who's like, you know, a tracking god. You you saw him literally in his opener uh, to the league. He was on Widowmaker and just popping off that way. So being able to have this fluidity, imagine like getting used to playing against two players and you're like, oh, I figured out the rhythm. I know exactly how they work. And then just the entire team's like, you know what? Sub them out. We're just going to put somebody else in. Now you have to get used to that whole tempo as well. So feel like it's a very good strategy by the shock and they really utilized it to their fullest advantage in these finals rascal was just a god on farah getting a lot of really good barrages a lot of really good rocket picks in very early architect on bastion was a very smart choice i don't think that the titans really planned well around that because you saw a lot of ice walls boosting him up which just really gave him a much better view of the main concept behind boosting a bastion up is to have a character get free line of sight and free damage onto them but that's a lot more difficult now that sigma's in the game and you can move the barrier accordingly right but also with someone who's as good as architect is with the healing that they had and with Choi Hyobin on tank it, I mean it didn't work once and I think they used it at the wrong time I feel like they were also missing out on the actual damage to follow that up like they had the right idea of like oh yeah we'll, we'll boost them up right and we'll, we'll all smack them but you forget that you know Choi Hyobin is there there's a reason why Architect is on team Korea for the World Cup right there's there's a reason um and you know, they they just played that very, very well. And I was glad that they that they pulled it off. I think the only the only thing that I really had a, a comment on was during the Shock's second attack, their push, I, I thought it was just a very stubborn brute force push when they were they were kind of trapped in one of the side rooms and their they kept losing players, losing players, and losing players. But they didn't pull back at all and they didn't regroup. They just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and people would come back and regroup there but it worked like it was stubborn brute force that allowed them to to push through that and capture the point i don't think any other team would have been able to pull that off yeah i totally agree like the shock have a very interesting way of like getting in there um they have a never say die like mentality as you we saw especially during that last the the shocks attack like second attack they had like 45 seconds to get on the point and they were just like, you know what? We're just going to get in there. We're going to fight to like our last breath. We're just going to let it happen. Um, and, you know, they, they just pushed through and they did it. I was actually in the bathroom when this happened. I was watching it. And my parent, like, I was like, yes! And then everybody in the house was like, what is he yelling at? Like, <laughs> like, 
I'm like, dude, this, oh, it was, it was just so good. <laughs> I was, it was just such a good uh, moment to know, like, you know, they did it with the very, very last second. They were able to pull off what they did um, and just create space. And, you know, they went up 2-0 at halftime. Momentum does come into play at this point. Um, I feel like another thing that we needed to point out other than, well, not the map in particular, but just the map selection. Um, they're all Vancouver Titans picks. So they were the higher C going in. So they got to pick the control point map and they picked Lijon, right? Um, and then they lost to the shock uh, during that. So they got to pick Eichenwald is their next one. And then we, we get to see this pattern. It's essentially like you get to pick the floor and every single time that we saw so far and, you know, later down the series, uh, the shock had studied them. They were they were ready. All right. So moving on to our third map, um, Anubis. So Stryker and Sinatra do come back in, subbing Rascal and Architect out. And we saw Reaper Doomfist come back as well as Sinatra going on to the may occasionally yeah that was interesting in my opinion i thought that once he pulled out the may they're like oh okay we're gonna you know troll them a little bit but i thought that that was actually a really smart pick they were expecting the doomfist to come out from sinatra and the swap over actually helped this was just a huge win for the shock i felt like this was going to go towards the titans the titans had a really good cap on the first round uh they finished with one minute and 34 seconds left on point two. But when the shock came in for their attack, it was really hard for them to get that point one. I didn't think that they were going to get it, but eventually at the one minute mark, um, Violet opened up with a coalescence and that kind of helped them push the Titans off the high ground, off the point and the shock were able to take it. But that was in overtime that wasn't really a good sign for the second push. They had no alts afterwards and the Titans had the alt advantage, but somehow the shock with their no alts and already forcing out a sound barrier from the Titans managed to get enough kills and damage somehow to mitigate the benefit of that sound barrier to mitigate the drop of a supercharger and cap the point with two minutes and 12 seconds left. That was a 48 second cap. Uh, how yeah they have a very good team i mean they have a team of people who are like just focused on what they wanted to do like i i honestly thought that they were going to lose it at that first point as well when they first went in and they had no ultimates going into that fight completely and they just played that super cleanly they just got the point and then they were like you know what we we got them they have to push um they're, they get the fast respawn because of the, the helpful patch like a few times ago, but still, like, they just were like, you know what? We're rolling with the punches right now. We're going. We're going right now. And they they went. They forced more ultimates out of the Titans, which was good on their part, but it looks like they just pulled it out. They, they did a very good job at rolling with the momentum that they already had. What the Titans did well, I will say, is that they were good at focusing down Sinatra. Sinatra had a such a hard time getting any picks, any value with his Doomfist because the the Titans knew that with Sinatra running around, his mobility on that Doomfist, able to get into the back line, do some damage and get out, that it would be really hard for them to get any good progress. 
So what they did was they were able to focus him down towards the beginnings of each fight, which allowed them to get their progress. They just weren't able to stop the progress that the shock had when it really counted. So our fourth and final map for the shock 4-0 roll through steamroll that Sinatra predicted that I didn't think was actually going to happen, we were on Gibraltar. And you have Rascal and Architect back in swapping Sinatra and Striker out. So again, that means we're going to see more of that May and Bastion play. Do you think that the uh, the exhaustion of playing four rounds straight had anything to do with the Titans' real inability to get any wins at all? So I feel like this is actually a two-part like question. So the way how it works is, yes, I do feel like it was player fatigue. Um, just like you had the same six players up on the stage the entire time. Like maybe one of them needed a break or a breather. Um, just trying to figure out like, you know, how to how to fix all that. Um, another one is this is my personal opinion. I think Krusty, the coach of the San Francisco Shock, studied the Vancouver Titans so much that he just figured them out. It's one of those things where when you play longer series, which all the series that the Titans played were very long in the winner's bracket. So against the NYXL, that went to seven. Um, I think against the Gladiators, right? They played the Gladiators, right? That went to six. Yeah. So it's games like that where you have more footage on your opponents than they do of you. They, the you know, the shock went 4-0 throughout the entire lower bracket. That gave them less footage to look at. Meanwhile, the shock had so much footage to look at, they could figure out, okay, what worked? Why did the NYXL push them all the way to a map 7? Like, how did they do that? And they really did take their time and study their opponent. So I feel like it was the knowledge of the shock faculty and being able to transfer that to their players to execute at that moment, as well as the player fatigue of having the same six, the same cookie cutter style that they had playing into it. This map in particular, both teams pushed pretty well. They tried to, they got all the way to the end as we saw the shock initially push. They had a minute 51 in the bank and they were just rolling with momentum at that point. There wasn't a lot that they could do to stop Choi and Architect um, on the point for that much. Um, the Titans did put up a very good initial start on both points one and two, but once they had two minutes and 35 seconds going into point three, they kind of lost their steam trying to go in and making some interesting plays here and there. It was just the pure play by the shock. They were focused, they were ready to go, and they executed uh, when it came down to Gibraltar. And that's why they uh, 4-0'd. I believe that it was, once again, the knowledge of the the staff as well as knowing that the same six players are playing with a mentality of, okay, we're down 3-0. It's not looking great for us. Um, and they were probably like not confident going into this final final game. Also, in that last push, the 2 minutes and 35 seconds they had, at point three, at that last fifteen seconds, it was it was do or die time, and just it showcased the power of that Bastion and Baptiste 
combo once again because you had architect just power boosted so much with the amp matrix that oh, they didn't even have a chance because they just got wiped out so fast it also shows like the creativity of the shock like there were both on Eichenwald and on Gibraltar, there were times when Rascal would just boost Architect up to some weird like high ground positioning. And then they would just Architect would just be like, okay, point and click simulator time. Um, and that's pretty much what happened. It's one of the funniest like memes that I've seen. It's like, where's Architect right now? And <laughs> everybody's looking at the ground. They're like, oh, I only count five. Where's Architect? And he's like on the chandelier, like hanging around, like doing his own thing. But yeah, that's how it was. On Eichenwald, he was on the chandelier, getting nano boosted, you know, hitting his shots from there. Um, and then on Gibraltar, he got Maywall boosted up to the back of that. Uh, the rocket the, pad. The rocket pad, yeah, essentially. And just had free reign with with uh, Baptiste up there. So all in all, we just had a very dominant play from all four maps from the San Francisco Shock. I have a quick question for you, Matt. Now, this is just a very like speculative thing, but do you think that if the Shock didn't lose to the Atlanta Rain at the very beginning, they would be this confident pushing in throughout like the lower bracket and or do you think that history would have changed if, you know, the Shock were going on throughout the upper bracket rather than through the lower bracket? Oh, man. Um, I think there's a chance we might have seen a shock NYXL match in the grand finals. Um, I still think that the shock would have been just as confident, would have been just as strong showing. I don't think they would have had a problem making it to the finals. But with the way that we saw the Titans dragging a lot of these matches to six and seven maps, there was always a chance that they were cutting it too close and that a lot of these teams that went with them could have actually taken the series off of them. I think we could have definitely seen different history. I still think the end result would have been the same, just the matchups might have been a little bit different. I honestly do think that them losing to the rain woke them up. Like, they might have been confident enough to sail their way through the upper bracket, but I don't think that they would have had the same amount of determination. Or you could say that literally the rain, if they did not lose to the rain nothing would have been lighting a fire under them in order to get them to be as motivated as they were going into this run. Now, do you think that the way that they lost to the rain had anything to do with it, or was it just the fact that they lost? I felt like it was the way that they lost as well. Like, the, the C9, it's humiliating. Like, not understanding, like, it was not something about your personal play. Like, you, like they played their best in that map seven, it was a careless mistake on their part that caused them to lose that game. And they knew that very well. And because of that, it, it kind of like woke them up. They were like, okay, you know what? We can't sleep on any team that comes to us now. Like not only were their playoff careers in jeopardy at that point, but it was also like essentially their motivation was we're going to get knocked out, but we got to play everybody like it's the last map. Like, it's the last time that we're ever going to play Overwatch ever. And I was glad that glad that it was something that they got to pick up earlier. I felt like if it was, like, round two or three and they see nine, they probably would have been like, oh, okay, yeah, we, we messed up and we don't have that motivation. But losing early, I felt, really helped them. Yeah, I think I think if it was more of a, of a loss because they weren't playing as well as they could have, as opposed to just 
a stupid error like a C9. I don't think that that fire would have been lit underneath them as much because like they knew that they were good enough to make it all the way, but it's just it for them to have been kicked out of the finals potentially because of such something as stupid as a C9 that I, I don't know. Would they have been able to like to face that? Exactly. I felt like the way how they did, their run especially in the lower bracket and you know on into the finals it was something that motivated them they didn't want to have any regrets going into the season especially since they worked so hard to get here they're not gonna just throw it away off of some careless mistake and i'm glad that they took every team seriously is there a team that aside from these uh titans that you think might have given the shocks some trouble in the in this finals in this finals um, yeah, and in, that la- in this last round, is there another team that could potentially have not been 4-0'd? I felt like the NYXL, if they happened to be there, they would have been one of the greater teams to attempt that push. I also feel like if the Atlanta Reign made it somehow, they would have been another team that would have been very hard for the Shock because they both play the same exact like fluid style. They have a... They have a very solid like seven man roster, but the confidence for for example like Baby Bay when he was able to play your Ash on Hanamura, it's not something that you normally see, and teams aren't prepared to see that. Um, just like the same way how the Shock are willing to swap Rascal and Architect and Striker and Sinatra, it gives them that flexibility to do whatever they want in a way. Um, and I felt like the rain, I feel like later down the line, if they get more specialists or their players start, you know, playing at an even higher level than they already are, they could easily be a contender like later later down the line for champions, I honestly think. Then again, you know, everything in Overwatch is determined by the patch and the meta. Like some teams fall out really hard, some teams are just very good, and some teams just stay good. So uh, we'll see how it goes in, uh, you know, next year, next season, when Overwatch League eventually rolls out to all the homestands. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to talk about? I think the only thing that we have to mention is, you know, the MVP. Choi Hyobin was our MVP. He was very good um, at what he needed to execute on. And it's something that goes under the radar for the most part. You don't pay attention to the off tank until the off tank doesn't do anything. His positioning in order to make sure that Architect wasn't getting bursted down from that May wall was really important. Landing good accretion kills to stop ultimate. Um, using, you know, absorption to lessen the damage from both Reaper shotguns and you know may blizzards he ate like i think two of them it's very quiet play from Choi. it's not like the most exciting over the top but it's very important stuff yeah i mean for for Choi hyobin it's not it's not the flashy plays even though he did have a lot of really good fluxes and a lot of really good moments where he would just come in and wipe the titans out with the damage but with him i think it was the consistency that we saw the ability to be there when he needed to be to get the clutch kills that needed to be taken at the time. Just that, that steadfastness of a tank is what I think really got him that accolade and what really helped the shock win that ability to rely on the tanks. So now since the uh, grand finals are over, 
the only thing that we have to look forward to is more contenders. Um, if you guys follow the contender scene, there is a gauntlet going on on October 9th through the 13th, where the top 10 teams from all the regions go to Seoul Korea to duke it out, essentially. Um, so if you guys please support Tier 2 Overwatch, there it's very underrated. And there's also a very good desk talent that I've personally been able to chat and hang out with before. So I'm glad that they... They're putting they're putting on something that you know can fill in the void during October, um, so go ahead and check out the Overwatch Contenders Gauntlet 2019. It will be between October 9th and the 13th. So we have that, and then also we have uh, more you know World Cup news that's lurking around um, as we wait for the actual tournament to kick off. Uh, did we figure out what they start in November, right? November 1st and 2nd, I believe. So, yeah, we have to wait until November. We still have the Halloween stuff to deal with if there's new skins and whatnot. I also think that once World Cup starts rolling around, we're going to have a lot more to talk about, especially since, you know, lots of the league players are going to be on these teams. All right, so I think I think that wraps up our analysis for the regular season of Overwatch for this year. Yay, Overwatch is done with the question mark the league is done but you know overwatch so it keeps going league is done overwatch is forever <laughs> exactly um is there anything else we need to say i don't think so i think that that just wraps it up for season two I, if anything i'm i'm glad that we got the two best teams at the very end uh the matchup was insane we also get to see a lot of these players later on in the world cup so uh, i'm just looking forward to that when it happens and i'm just excited for more overwatch later down the line all righty then um thank you so much for tuning into the analysis portion of our podcast if you haven't yet listened to the news section we'd love it if you do so um aside from that tune in next week to see what other kind of zaniness we pull out in before we're waiting for the world cup to happen and the halloween event and the halloween event yeah we'll talk about that because halloween is great and we love halloween all right thank you for tuning in and see you next week thanks for listening to this week's episode like what you hear Please like, rate, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And follow us on all social media at Believe in OWL. That's B-L-E-A-V in OWL. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to send us an email at believeinowl at gmail.com. Interested in advertising with the show? Please contact our network at believe.com. Thanks for tuning in and see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.